Well, thanks, Joe. Hope you've had a great week, and uh, it's great to be with you one more time. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to share the Word of God with you. I invite you back to Mark chapter 5 this morning. Mark chapter 5. In our men's study over at Arbor Oaks, we've been discussing this year a book entitled Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. And we've been looking in that book at various aspects of the person and and work of Christ, his attributes. And the goal has been of the study and of the book really to, to see Christ more clearly and delight in him more fully. And... Really, that's the heart of Christianity, isn't it? To be centered on Jesus Christ, to trust Him, to worship Him, to to delight in Him, and to follow Him. We come this morning to the third in a trilogy of stories that Mark has been recounting in his gospel about the true identity of Jesus Christ. The curtain has been pulled back a little, and we've had a glimpse of the amazing power, but also, really, the amazing mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we've seen him as the Son of God. We've seen something of his glory in these passages. In the first passage, at the end of chapter 4, we saw him as Lord over nature. Remember, Jesus, with his disciples, was in the midst of a fierce storm. So violent, the disciples were sure they were going to die. But Jesus stands and he rebukes the winds and the waves. He commands the storm to be still, and there was a great calm. Last week in our passage in the first part of Mark 5, Jesus encountered a man with an equally violent storm, but this time it was within himself. He was possessed by a legion of demons, thousands of demons. He was violent. He was uncontrollable. But we saw the demons came and they fell before Jesus. And Jesus demonstrated that he was Lord over the demonic realm, the spiritual realm, by casting the demons out of the man. And in so doing, he transformed that man. He saved that man. Well, today in our passage, we discover that Jesus is Lord over the physical realm, over disease, and even over death itself. He is the one who brings healing and life. The people in this passage and and two main characters in particular find, find hope in Jesus when all human hopes are exhausted. And once again, we see the great power of our Lord, but we also see his amazing grace. And we learn once again that this is the one we really ought to give our lives to. This is the one whom we should believe in and trust with all our hearts because this is the Son of God who has come among us. So look with me at Mark chapter 5 and we will read verses 21 through 43. Mark 5 verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him 
And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. When he strictly charged them, that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. I trust the Lord will bless his word to us this morning as we turn our hearts to it now. So after delivering the man in the previous passage, the man with the legion of demons, the people were afraid, and, and you remember they actually begged Jesus to leave their, their region, and so he did. He and his disciples got back in the boat, and they crossed back over the sea of of Galilee, and when he arrived back on the western shore, probably at Capernaum, there was a great crowd waiting for him, and, and they gathered around him, and that's, that's the setting of our passage. And you'll notice that there are really two stories combined in this section. Now, of course, this is how the events unfolded, these two stories, but it seems that there's even more to it than, than just the chronology of how things unfolded. As we reflect on this passage, we realize that these two stories make similar points and actually yield similar lessons. Some commentators speak of this passage as an example of a a Markin sandwich. A Markin sandwich wasn't uh, something that you bought for lunch in a Galilean deli. It's something that you find in this gospel when a second story is kind of sandwiched into the into the main story but that second story actually helps shed light on on the whole 
And that's the case here, as I trust we'll see. The story of the woman and her healing by Jesus is sandwiched here into the story of Jairus and his sick and dying daughter. And we discover, as we examine this passage closely, that Jesus, through this woman, had something very important to teach Jairus, and I trust to teach us as well this morning. Now, as we begin, it's helpful to contrast the main characters in the story. So, a contrast in characters. Contrasting characters. We're first introduced to Jairus. If you look at this passage, we can identify a number of things about Jairus. He's obviously a man, and he's a man of some influence and status. We know his name. Uh, We know he has a prominent position in Jewish society. Verse 22 describes him as one of the rulers of the synagogue. The synagogue, as you know, was the, the sort of center of the social and spiritual life of the Jewish community. And this man was one of the elders of the synagogue. He wasn't a priest or a scribe or a Pharisee. He was more of an administrator. He was entrusted with the general oversight of the synagogue. Uh, He would have been in charge of finances and building maintenance, and he was also involved in arranging worship activities in the synagogue, uh, designating scripture readers and, and preachers and those who would lead in prayer. So, Jairus was an important man. He was, an, a man. he was a man with authority. He would have been recognized by that crowd on that day. He would have been recognized as an important person. Um, so even though it was a very large crowd that was pressing in around Jesus, when Jairus showed up, they made way for him. And he was able to approach Jesus directly. We also know from this passage that Jairus has a house, or had a house, probably a decent-sized house, probably servants. He has friends. There were many people that came to mourn the death of his daughter. So Jairus was a a high-ranking official. He was a respected man in Jewish society. He enjoyed wealth. He enjoyed many privileges. But of course, this story reveals that Jairus has a major problem. His beloved daughter... His precious little daughter was at the point of death. And all of his status and and money and and importance and influence, all of that couldn't save his little girl. Now, Jairus stands in contrast with the woman who is described in this story. You notice we don't even know her name. Her name's not given. Unlike Jairus, we learn that she is poor. She is helpless. In fact, we really only know her by her shame. Look at verses 25 and 26 again. It says, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. Think of it, for 12 long years, this poor woman had a chronic menstrual disorder. Verses 29 and 34 describe it as a disease. Other translations call it an affliction. It's a very interesting term. It's a kind of a graphic term, actually. It's a term that means whip or scourge. And it's a word that that, um, describes a 
condition of great distress, even torment and suffering. And that's exactly what verse 26 indicates. The text states that she suffered much under many doctors. She spent all her money, but none of them could help her. In fact, she only grew worse and worse. Some ancient medical treatments were both painful and harmful. And some, frankly, were downright crazy, at least by our standards these days. The Talmud, uh, which is a collection of rabbinic teaching, lists 11 cures for this particular ailment, illness. Among them is this. Listen, Listen to this. Take the gum of Alexandria, the weight of a small silver, silver coin, of alum the same, of crocus the same. Let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman that has an issue of blood. If this does not profit, sorry, if this does not benefit, take one of the Persian onions, three pints, boil them in wine and give her to drink and say, Arise from thy flux. If this does not cure her, Set her in a place where two ways meet and let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand and let someone come behind and frighten her and say, Arise from thy flux. Needless to say, these remedies didn't help. As Philip Riken says, they sound more like cures for the hiccups than for chronic illness. It's interesting, Luke's account of this story. Luke leaves out the part about her suffering under many physicians. Remember, Luke was a doctor, so he might have been trying to protect his colleagues uh, there. He simply says she couldn't be healed by anyone. So her disease was incurable. Now, because of her condition, there was another element at work here. She would have been ceremonially unclean, according to the law of Moses, She, therefore, that meant she wasn't allowed to enter the temple. She wasn't allowed to participate in public worship. She wasn't even allowed to touch people. So beyond her physical suffering, she had to deal with with social and, and spiritual isolation. And no doubt there was a tremendous emotional suffering as part of this. She was in many ways an outcast. Think of it. It had probably been 12 long years since anyone had embraced this woman. Notice also that she can't just walk up to Jesus and make her request. She kind of has to sneak through the crowd and and come up behind Jesus, unlike Jairus, who the crowd made way for, for him. She came up behind him, hoping just to touch, as as Luke says, the fringe of his garment. So the contrast between Jairus and this woman couldn't be greater. And And yet, in the midst of their vast differences, they both have desperate needs that bring them to the same place, bring them to Jesus. As great as their differences were, there is actually some similarities that link them together. It's significant that this woman has been suffering for 12 years. And did you notice how old Jairus' daughter was? 12 years old. Although we don't know this woman's name, Jesus addresses her in verse 34 as daughter. Daughter. And he declares that Her faith in Jesus has made her well. 
And as Jesus is speaking these very words, calling this woman daughter, Jairus is told that his daughter is dead. What both of these daughters needed and what both of these daughters received was the healing touch of Jesus. Now this illustrates, all of, all of these contrasts illustrates the fact that whatever our station in life, young or old, rich or poor, male, female, successful or broken, whatever the distinctions that we like to make, every single one of us is linked together in our common need of Jesus Christ. Paul speaks in Romans of the fact that we have all sinned. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all stand guilty before God, every one of us. Romans 3.19 says, So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. And yet, and yet the gospel announces that there is a full and free and rich and bountiful salvation available to every one of us. But it comes only one way. It comes through faith in the person and work of our Lord Jesus. Peter declared, remember that great declaration, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And it's this common need of a respected man in society, a wealthy man, and the need of an outcast poor woman that brings them both to the Lord Jesus who alone can meet their needs and save them. You know, some people today think it's highly offensive that we might hold the notion and and actually say that Jesus is the only way to God. People find that offensive in our pluralistic culture. But the Bible's perspective is that we should thank God that there is a way God would have been just to condemn all of us. But instead, the scripture announces that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the good message. Thank God that there is a way. It's important for us to see that in both these cases, Jairus and the woman, they come and they place their faith in Jesus Christ. Again, in terms of social standing and life circumstances, there's nothing to link these two. They're they're as far apart as they could possibly be, and yet their needs are profound. And they know that their only hope is in Jesus. At different points in this passage, both of these people fall before Jesus. And their hope and trust is in Him. And He does not disappoint. What are your burdens this morning? What are the burdens that you have been bearing? There's something to learn from these two people in our text that speaks to our situation. Whatever it is, even if it's very different from these individuals, there's something for us to learn here. So let's first of all look at Jairus' faith. Verse 22 tells us that Jairus, again, was the ruler of the synagogue. But he came to Jesus and fell at Jesus' feet. Now remember, this would have made uh, Jairus part of the religious establishment. And the religious establishment didn't like Jesus. 
They opposed him. They plotted against him. They wanted to kill him. It wasn't politically correct for Jairus to approach Jesus like this. But here he is, the ruler of the synagogue, falling down at Jesus' feet before this huge crowd. Jairus had heard about Jesus. In fact, it's very likely, in, in fact, I think it's almost sure, that Jairus himself heard Jesus and was an eyewitness to some of Jesus' miracles. Back in chapter 1, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. And Mark chapter 122 says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Jairus would have heard Jesus' teaching there. Well, well, Jesus was in that same synagogue at that same time, Jesus healed a man with an unclean spirit and cast the demon out of that man. And then again, at the beginning of chapter 3, Jesus is back in that synagogue and he heals a man with a withered hand. Remember that story. Well, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if this was Jairus' synagogue here in Capernaum. So Jairus heard Jesus' teaching. He saw Jesus' miraculous power. But he also heard the religious leader's opposition to Jesus. In chapter 3, after he heals the, the, the man with the withered hand, they were so upset that Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath that the text says they were plotting how to destroy him. Jairus knew all that. He might have been part of that meeting. But now, Jairus is a desperate man. And so he went to Jesus. Verse 23, he says, My little daughter, my little daughter is at the point of death. In Luke's account, we learn that this was his only daughter. Here was his precious little girl, and she was dying. And all of a sudden, it didn't matter what the smug Pharisees and scribes and priests thought. Their opinions were of no help to him. Jairus knew his need. His heart was breaking, and he knew Jesus was his only hope. Evidently, God had to bring him to that point in order for him to turn to Jesus. The truth is that sometimes God has to bring us to that point in order to get our attention. And it's a mercy that he does that. We never want hardships or trials. We never want to find ourselves in desperate circumstances, but sometimes God has to bring us to that very point to break through our pride, to break through our spiritual skepticism, to break through our self-sufficiency, to show us our need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we come in faith and when we come and humble ourselves before Him, He does not cast us out. He has mercy on us. Jairus believed in Jesus, and so, verse 23, he said, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so Jesus agrees to go with Jairus, and they they set off. But now, now Jairus' faith is going to be severely tested. Time was of the essence here. The little girl was on the verge of death. They had to get there quick. 
But Jesus gets interrupted. And he takes time. Jairus is thinking he's taking his sweet time here. He takes time to deal with another person in need. Do you ever find that frustrating? You want Jesus to act on your behalf and you want him to act now. Time is of the essence. But one of the things we need to learn as disciples of Christ is that Jesus does not operate on our time schedule. Jairus was no doubt very anxious. He didn't appreciate the, this delay from, from this unclean, unwelcome woman. But Jesus was in no rush. In fact, it appears that he wanted Jairus to learn something from this woman. So let's look now at the, the woman's faith. This poor woman was embarrassed by her condition, no doubt. She was, co- she was considered unclean. She was thought to be unworthy to to speak to Jesus. Certainly it was illegal for her to to touch him. She heard reports about him, the text says. And she acted on what she heard. She went in faith. She saw in him not another helpless doctor, not another religious leader, but one who had the very power of God. Notice verses 28 and 29. For she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease after 12 long years. What an incredible miracle. 12 years of suffering and shame and embarrassment and frustration and isolation gone in a moment when she reached out the hand of faith and touched the fringe of Jesus' garment. Look at the response of Jesus, verses 30 through 34. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus immediately knows that someone has approached him in faith. In the midst of this thronging crowd, he's aware of a single desperate touch. He knew that power had gone out of him, and he he turns to find out who was reaching out to him. He calls out, who touched my garments? The disciples think he's a little crazy here. The the, the crowd is all around him, and no doubt there was lots of incidental contact. But Jesus wasn't thinking of that. He knew this was a different This was someone who was reaching out to him in faith and he turns to meet this person. You see, Jesus isn't uh, content just to dispatch a miracle and keep moving on. He wants to encounter the person. In asking the question and in looking for the individual, Jesus was giving this woman the opportunity to come forward and meet him. He wasn't trying to shame her. He was giving her the opportunity to bear witness of God's saving power in her life. He wanted to make her faith more complete. He wanted her to know Him. 
and he wanted Jairus, who was standing there biting his fingernails, checking his watch, he wanted Jairus to learn a very important lesson. Eventually, the woman comes forward. She falls before Jesus in fear and trembling. She probably thought she was in trouble. You know that that feeling when you get called to the principal's office? That's how she was feeling. Here she was, an unclean woman, and she touched the teacher, the rabbi. But again, he wasn't trying to embarrass her. He wasn't trying to humiliate her. He was giving her the opportunity to know him, the Son of God. And she falls before him and and publicly testified to what great things that Jesus, Jesus had done for her. It says in verse 33 that she came before him and told him the whole truth. Probably was a long story, 12 years of suffering. Jesus responds so tenderly. He calls her daughter. You know, this is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus addresses someone as daughter. Think of it. This, this broken, lonely, isolated, outcast woman was now cleansed. She was now being called by Jesus daughter. She was a daughter of the Son of God. Jesus says to her, your faith has made you well. It wasn't the magic magical power of Jesus' robe or some spiritual force that healed her. It was God's gracious response to her faith in Jesus. It's interesting, the term translated in my version, made well, is actually the New Testament word for save. We could translate it, your faith has saved you. Certainly her her faith in in Jesus brought her deliverance from her disease, but in in reaching out to Christ in, in faith, he reached out to her and granted her salvation and sent her on her way in the peace of God. Jesus taught this woman about true faith. He taught her something about discipleship. She learned, and, and we ought to learn, that discipleship is not just about getting our needs met. It's about knowing the one who meets our needs. It's, it's being in the, in the presence of Jesus. It's being willing to follow Him. It's being willing to tell the truth publicly about Him, bearing witness to the great things that He has done for us. Well, this whole time, Jairus is still waiting. No doubt, Jesus took more time with this woman than, than Mark's summary here. And during this delay, Jairus' worst fears were realized. Look at verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? With this announcement, Jairus' last hopes were dashed. So it seemed. The servant felt it too. Why trouble the teacher any further? Jesus might be able to do some impressive miracles, but no one can raise the dead. That was their thinking. No one can raise the dead. So they thought. Verse 36. 
But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. What, what um, Jairus thought was an inconvenient delay, the interaction with this unclean woman, was in fact God's providential timing in at least two ways. First of all, Jairus just watched Jesus heal a woman who was in a desperate condition. And although her, her disease placed her beyond all human hopes, nevertheless, she came to Jesus and she came to Jesus in faith. And it was her faith that Jesus commended. It was her faith that saved her. Jairus had come to Jesus with a measure of faith, but now it seemed pointless. What's the point of faith now? His daughter was dead. But Jesus said to him, notice, do not fear, only believe. The message is, keep on believing, Jairus. Don't let your fears overwhelm you. Focus on me. Continue to trust in me. I'm not done yet, Jairus. You see, Jairus needed the humble faith that, that this woman, Jesus' daughter, Jesus' daughter, displayed even in the face of his own daughter's death James Edwards puts it this way the woman exemplifies and defines faith for Jairus which means to trust in Jesus despite everything to the contrary but there's a second reason this delay in getting to Jairus's daughter was providential and purposeful And that was in order to reveal the glory of Christ in an amazing way. Remember from John 11 when when Jesus heard that Lazarus, his friend, was dead. It says he delayed. He didn't rush immediately to go heal Lazarus. In fact, Lazarus died as Jesus delayed. But Jesus said that Lazarus' illness was for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And through raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus revealed his glory. And he was able to declare on that occasion, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And I think a similar thing is going on in our passage. In the face of scorn and doubt and and laughter by the crowd, Jesus says to the girl in verse 41, little girl, I say to you, arise. Verse 42, and immediately the girl got up and began walking and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Jesus raised the dead. He demonstrated that he is the son of God. He put his glory on display for for Jairus and his wife and a few disciples and for all of us this morning. The question is, as we see this, as we see the glory of Jesus Christ, the question is, will we trust in him? Will we bring our burdens to him and trust him even though everything seems contrary to faith? So as we conclude, let's be clear. The lesson of our passage is not if we just have enough faith in Jesus, he'll heal our diseases, we won't get sick, and if we really have faith, he might just raise the dead for us. That is not the point of the passage. 
The lesson is see Jesus for who he really is. He is Lord over nature. He's Lord over the demons. He is Lord over disease. And he is even Lord over death itself. He is the Son of God who does what only God can do. His power is great. His mercy is great. And he is able to save us and deliver us and transform us and give us life. So see him. Come to him, trust in him, savor him, delight in him. That's really the lesson. Jesus is the Son of God. Delight in him. Delight in him, yes, when we come together on a, on a morning like this and we can sing songs of praise and express our joy in him, but, but see him and savor him even in the trials of life when the burdens get really heavy. When things get hard and and confusing and fear is rising, hear Jesus say, as he said to the disciples in, in the boat, as he said to Jairus here, and as he says to us this morning, do not fear, only believe. We can come to him in all of our desperation, in all of our oppression, in all of our isolation. When all other hopes are exhausted, we can cry out to him and he will meet us with mercy. Maybe not on our timetable, but he will meet us with mercy. And you know what? He already has. He already has at the cross when he took our sins on himself and forever bore them away that we might have life. He's calling us in these passages that we've been looking at these three weeks to to see him for who, who he really is. To see his glory as the Son of God. And he's calling us to believe in him, to bring our fears and our doubts and our weaknesses and our burdens to him and to trust him with all our hearts, to follow him, to obey him, to worship him. And so may we all have eyes to see and hearts to trust and to savor the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is Lord over all. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for these glimpses of his glory that we've seen in these passages. And we pray that they would not be mere Sunday school stories to us, but they would be the power of God that, that ignites our faith and, and fuels our faith in him. Help us to bear witness to others to the great things that you have done through him in our lives. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.